Good morning, everyone. We're glad you're here for Bible class, and we want to welcome our KFUO listening audience who joins us this morning as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. But before I start this morning, I'm going to talk about another thing about 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Just, you know, interesting. Uh, we've been studying 1 Corinthians, and of course, 1 Corinthians is a book that Paul wrote when he had heard reports from Chloe's people about uh, divisions in the church. And also, he had been presented a letter uh, that asked for his guidance on certain issues, which we get to later in the book. But as we actually get into 2 Corinthians, there's some very interesting references. And it talks about a sorrowful letter. Sorrowful letter. And uh, what we know from reading is, some have attempted to say that 2 Corinthians is the sorrowful letter, but we don't think that's true. We think Paul wrote at least one other letter to Corinth that we don't have, that we do not have. Evidently, God didn't like it, so he didn't put it in the Bible. But the fact is, it's not. We don't know anything of it. But it's referenced a couple of times in 2 Corinthians that he wrote this sorrowful letter. It's also referenced in 2 Corinthians that he made a sorrowful visit to Corinth that is not included in any of the uh, uh, journeys of Paul. That he may have gone there, but again, they're referenced in 2 Corinthians, but we don't know much about them. But So a sorrowful letter and a sorrowful visit, but we think he wrote at least three letters to Corinth. So just interesting facts that, uh, you know, you really don't get into unless you study 2 Corinthians. But it's a, a package deal, but there's more there than we even know or understand. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. What is, what then is Paul? Or what then, or what then is uh, Apollos? Or what then is Paul? Servants through which you came to faith. And the Lord has given uh, to each, or as to each. In other words, notice how we're translating this. What is Paul? The word could also be who is Paul, who is Apollos, but we translate it what, because as we read through these verses, it's going to be apparent that the question is, what are they? Not who are they, but what are they? And then he says, I watered, Apollos, or I planted, 
Apollos watered, but the Lord gave the growth, or the Lord caused the growth. This is very interesting because of the verb tenses. And you, you can't see that, but the verb tenses are, I planted, Apollos watered. Those are words that say they did it, it was a one-time deal, okay? They do it, the action is finished. But when it gets to the word that says, God caused the growth. It's a different verb form, and that verb form means continuing action. So while Paul planted, Apollos watered, while other pastors and teachers may plant and water, it is God that continually is the one who gives the growth. And it's just like, uh, it's a farming analogy. Uh, the farmer plants the seed, the farmer waters his fields, but he can't make it grow. Farmer can't make it grow. It's God who gives the growth. So that's why Paul is using this analogy, because it's always up to God. So then, the one who plants is nothing, and the one who waters is nothing, but God brings the growth. God is the one doing this. So, causes the increase is a good way to track. God causes the increase. Um, Paul is, and he's been doing it now since he started the letter, he's taking all the emphasis off any, what any human being is doing. He's taking, he's pulling out all the supports of human intervention or human work. It is God that is doing the work here. It is God who is doing the work here. Now, um, the one who plants and the one who water are one. Each will receive a reward for his work according to his toil or labor. Okay. For um, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. Now, um, we are fellow workers. In other words, he's talking about Paul and Apostle are fellow workers with God so that there is the growth. The field is are the people in Corinth. The field 
And notice it says the building. Now Paul's going to be using, starting to use uh, building imagery, uh, ultimately leading up to a discussion of what is the temple of God. Okay? So he's giving all the credit to God for the growth. They are simply fellow workers. All right? According to the grace of God, which was given to me as an expert master builder. That's what the words mean. Expert master builder. Okay. I laid a foundation and another built on it. Okay. Now he's starting all this building in imagery. And he's going to say he laid the foundation. But another built on it. Whether that's referring to Apollos or others, but others built on it. Then he says, each watch out how you build. In other words, he laid the foundation. But tell us what the foundation is. Be careful, watch out how you build on this foundation. What do you build on top of this foundation? And then he says, For another foundation is not able to be founded except the one which is Jesus Christ. All right. So the foundation is Jesus Christ. The foundation is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation he laid. If you lay any other foundation, it is first of all not of God, and second of all, it will not last. Okay? Go back to the parable of the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. If it's built on anything but Jesus Christ, it's not going to stand. No matter what you build on top of it, if the foundation is no good, the whole thing is for naught. So he is building, and there's no other foundation that can be laid. Not human philosophy. Not human wisdom. No concoction of man. No desire by a human being to save themselves. There can be no other foundation than what Paul has laid. And then he starts in on uh, what do you build on it with? Okay. Now, if anyone... Okay. If anyone builds upon the foundation 
gold or silver or precious stones or wood or hay or the word is stubble. Now, what do these signify? The first three that are listed, gold, silver, and precious stones, were the basic elements used in the building of the temple. They are not combustible. They are not combustible. They do not burn up. But this is in descending order. Then wood and hay and stubble. They do burn up. Okay. So what are you building on top of the foundation? Combustible things or incombustible things. Referring to, are you building on the gospel of Jesus Christ or are you building on human wisdom? Are you building upon the certainty of the things of God that he has revealed to us? Or are you building on things from this world that do not last? Okay? Each work, or the work of each one, will be revealed. In the day, it will be... Uh, uh, reflected or, or uh, uh, come to, to be openly known. And it says that um, it will be revealed in fire. Now, and then it goes on, and each one's work, according to its kind, is proven by fire. All right, so what's he saying? He's saying that the work of each one is going to be tested by fire. And how that comes out shows the true quality of what's been built. It's tested by fire. It's tested by fire. It's proven by fire. It's revealed by fire. Now what he's talking about here is for first and for foremost what Paul and Apollos have done. In other words, in this section, first and foremost, he is talking 
to pastors and teachers. Okay? He's talking to pastors and teachers. Have you built on things that will be consumed by fire or things that will be tested and shown to be true by fire? All right? Now, we need to... Uh, there, there are some verses here uh, revealed by fire what each one's work has done. And then it goes on. If the work of anyone that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, this is not teaching salvation by works. But what it's teaching is this. When you are building, be a, a pastor, teacher in what they teach, or a Christian in their individual lives, their witness, if you build out of these incombustible things, the gospel, the things of God, they survive. They're not burned up. But if you seek to build anything else based on any other thing, it's going to be lost. It's going to disappear. Uh, the analogy would be you're driving your car and you total your car, but you walk away unscathed. God has burned up what you did, but you will still be set because salvation is based on faith on Jesus Christ. That's what it's saying. And you'll suffer loss because you realize that you could have done more in your life. And that what you did was proven not to be what God wanted. But you're still saved through faith in Jesus Christ. As one, as one, but only as through fire. Some commentators like to say, your work's going to be burned up, and your shorts are going to be burned on the way in, but you're going to be saved. Okay? You're going to get in with your, with your buns hot. Okay? But you're going to be saved. Okay? God's going to save you through faith in Jesus Christ. All right? So, the point is not... 
to focus on doing things. The focus is on God's Word, the things of God, Jesus Christ. If we focus on those things, God will work in and through us. It is when we let the things of the world and the wisdom of the world cloud our judgment, uh, cloud uh, what um, cloud out the things of God, go our own self-will way, those things are not going to be acceptable to God. But that's part of our sinfulness. We're all going to have things like that. But God is still going to save us through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, let me stop there and see if there are any questions. Because that section can be easily misled, uh, misread. But... Yeah, uh, the question is, if you do the works that last, what do you think the wages are? Okay? I could answer that in two ways. First is to say, wrong question. This is by grace. Okay? You're lucky to get anything. But it is talked about in other places in Scripture. The thing I always come back to is if you are, if there are more crowns, uh, jewels in your crown, Revelation is very specific that all crowns are thrown at the feet of Jesus. So, uh, if you're in heaven, you're going to be happy. Okay? But uh, what exactly this is, anything you do is to give glory to God. Anything you do is to give glory to God. That's the bottom line. So I wouldn't want to push it farther than that. Anything else? All right, 16. Now we're getting into more of the temple language. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Okay? This is a language that he will use, not only here, but in 2 Corinthians, that we are God's temple. And each of us, and why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. God has uh, brought us to him through faith. Uh, God has brought us to faith through baptism through the preaching of the Word. And when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, then we are the temple of God. This has lots of implications. 
We're the temple of God because the Spirit's there, but that means that we treat our bodies as temples. And he will go ahead and apply this. That's why you don't use your body in immorality because you are desecrating the temple of God. Okay? So it's not only a spiritual concept, it's that the Holy Spirit makes you God's temple. Therefore, you use everything you have to glorify God. And when you don't do that, you are desecrating God's temple. For if anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy them. For the temple of God is holy. And then quite the comments. And you are that temple. You are that temple. So, our calling is not to be a calling of trying to be better than another person. Our calling is to be like God. Our calling is to be in the image of Jesus Christ. Okay? If we set the standard any lower, it's going to be imperfect, sinful. So God raises the bar all the way. All the way. We are to be holy like God is holy. And of course, we're never going to make that. And of course, we always have to come back and flee to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. But that's the calling. And that keeps us all humble, doesn't it? There's none of us that can say that uh, uh, I've reached the standard. Because we will never come close. We will never come close. Then he becomes, uh, begins with 18. Let no one deceive themselves. Okay? Let no one deceive themselves. If someone thinks he is wise among you, in uh, this age, let him become a fool in order that he might become wise. Don't deceive yourself into thinking you're wise in this old world. Because as soon as you think that, you're not. Okay? You're not. Let him become foolish. This is a call to repentance. 
right? All of those that think they're wise realize, repent of that thought, they're foolish. Once you know you're foolish in the eyes of God, then you're wise. Then you're wise. When you know you're a weak, sinful person, that your mind is full of the things of this world, then you become wise. You have to know you're foolish before you become wise. This is a call to repentance. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Whenever we think we have, we are, are wise in worldly things, that is foolishness to God. That is foolish. The ways of the world are foolishness to God. And that deals with everything. Think how the scientist thinks they're wise. That's just one example. And yet, you know, I love, you know, I'd love to think of what God's going to do with scientists that think they know everything. I think it's going to be like Job. And I love it after 40 chapters of these three guys telling Job. Um, The Lord challenges Job. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me to the wrong? Will you condemn me that you might be in the right? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder like a voice in a voice like his? Okay. Adorn yourself. And then he starts asking him questions, okay? Questions that, that uh, okay, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? You observe the calving of doves, okay? Who can number the number of clouds by wisdom? Who can put wisdom in the inward parts? Can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, here we are? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Okay. Can you bind the chains of the stars? Okay. All these questions. And if any human being was confronted with God asking those questions, what would you say? I know nothing. 
I know nothing. So um, he's calling them out. Okay, so then he says, for it is written, um, he, the one who traps the wise in their craftiness. This passage comes from Job. The one who tries or traps or catches the wise in their craftiness. God catches those that proclaim themselves to be wise in their craftiness. Because ultimately, their, their wisdom deceives. Ultimately, their wisdom is foolishness. And God traps them. The interesting thing about the word trapped or caught is it's the only time this word is used in the Greek New Testament. And it's from the book of Job, as I said, God is going to trap them, okay, in their own craftiness. And then it says, the Lord knows... Um, the, uh, how's the best translate that? The calculations or the reasoning of the wise that it is folly, foolishness, vain, useless. Okay? So, in other words, it's saying they get caught in their own craftiness, they get caught in their own attempts to be wise, and yet the wisdom turns out to be nothing. He has already said, Christ is the wisdom of God. He said it in the first chapter. That is true wisdom. You want to true wisdom? It's Christ. And what Christ is taught, and what Christ has done, that's true wisdom. Compared with that, everything else fails the test. Fails the test. Especially when it comes to dealing with God. So again, Paul is pulling out every single support that people in this world might trust for their relationship to God and for their salvation. He's pulling it all out. All out. There's nothing left. There's nothing left but Jesus Christ. That's the wisdom of God. Uh, that's the wisdom of God. So what we get, you remember we started back up there what is Apollos? What is, not who is, what is? By now we get the answer. They're nothing. It's not who they are. It doesn't care. It's what they are. They are nothing. God is everything. And then he makes some striking comments. Let no one boast in man. 
for all things are yours, whether Paul, whether Apollos, whether Cephas, whether the world, whether life, death, things present, things to come, all things are yours. That's a bold statement. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. All these things are nothing but instruments God has used in your life. Everything in this world is yours. That's what it's saying, folks. So that you can count on, as you lead your life, God is leading you in the way he wants for you. And no matter what the things are in this life, people of the magnitude of the Apostle Paul, the things of this world, the people around you, God is going to use them for you. Therefore, your life is firmly in God's hands, and you, all these things, are yours. Okay? You have nothing to worry about. Okay? It's not that you follow Paul, it's that God put Paul in your life to bring you to Christ, to serve you. You see, Jesus Christ did not come to do anything but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul, all these things in this world God has put to serve his plan of saving you. And he will use them for just that. And then he summarizes, all these things are ours, but you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. When you belong to Jesus Christ, which you do, all these other things are going, God is going to use in your life for your good and to save you. They're not your foundation. They're not what you build on. They are things, Christ is your foundation. And you build on him. And then, all these things are yours because God's using them for you. For you. Because you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. This is the plan of God. Okay? This is the plan of God.
So as you look at all the things in your life, realize that each and one of those things, they may not be pleasant, they may be great. But God can use each and every thing for your formation to save you. It's all yours. And that's basically when we get to heaven, Jesus Christ is so gracious, he calls us priests and kings, and we rule with him. Okay? We rule with him. The world doesn't see right now the role of all these things. They think they're all for them. How startled are they going to be when Christ comes again and says, all these things I was using for my people, for the ones who have faith in me. You were just pawns to do my will for my people. It's going to be a startling day. It's going to be a startling day. All right, so that's how he ends three. Uh, he's pretty much ripped all the supports out now. And uh, he ends with this, that all these things are ours, and we are Christ, and Christ is God's. And that's, uh, uh, then he picks up new threads after that. Okay, questions? Yeah, Steve. Well, there are certainly scientists that are wise because they know Jesus Christ. But the scientist who says, I know everything, and there is no God, and, and uh, you know, this has been created through 20 trillion years by a bang, you know, big bang. I've told this before. Uh, the odds of the world being where it is today, today, based on a big bang, is the same odds as a big bang in a junkyard producing a perfectly operational 7047. Okay? It's ridiculous. So, no, we don't throw everybody out, but there is an arrogance involved here. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, I, I think they were in in, in dire straits because of these divisions. Now, whether they understand every aspect of this, that's one thing. But they certainly understood that what they were basing their divisions on was wrong. Okay? They could certainly gather that. And as I said, that one section per pertains more to pastors and teachers. It can't be applied to every Christian, but it's certainly to the pastors and teachers. But ultimately, 
uh, Paul puts the pastors and teachers in their place because they are only there to serve the people of God. Okay. So, no, they may not have understood every nuance, but they knew Paul was saying to them, none of these things is what you should be building on. And these divisions are have no, you know, if you're a Paul, if you're a Paulus, if you're a Peter, then if you're a Paul, he's your foundation. If you're of Apollos, he's your foundation, etc. And that's what he's trying to get them away from. Yeah, Lori? That is correct. And uh, as she said, uh, it's up to every Christian to look at things and make sure Christ is the center of worship and what they're learning. And that is exactly true. And each of us, remember, uh, we are all uh, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, God's own people to proclaim the marvelous deeds of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the task of each Christian. And so it's not just something you say, well, it's the pastor's duty to keep me on the straight and narrow. No. Each Christian needs to be weighing their life against the word of God. Okay? And what Christ says. All right. Yeah, bud? So in building the church, kind of knocking out a bunch of things that are the wrong way to build the church. Like That's right. The wisdom, uh, personality, uh, that sort of, I mean, he's hitting those things pretty hard. He's hitting them real hard. How to build a church. You don't build it on human wisdom, and you don't build it on a personality like Paul or Apollos or... Pastor Smith, or Pastor Thomas, or Pastor Wade. That's not the foundation of the church. Okay? Jesus Christ is. Yes. Certainly. Certainly. And the only way we can really tell that is what is the context of the verse. And we have to read it within the verses. And uh, sometimes it's hard for us to tell whether it's individual or the whole church. But we just have to do it through context. All right. Let's close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.